Welcome to another day of Diesel Shop Talk Podcast. <laughs> I'm just messing with y'all. But for real though, thanks for coming back out to support the podcast. I can't thank you enough. We have a lot of podcasts in the making. We have some recruiters coming in. We're going to be talking about the development side, uh, retention. We also have some military personnel that's going to be coming in talking about the transition from uh, the military to the civilian sector. I've been there. A lot of you have been there before. So we know that this is a hot topic, especially if you are that veteran that's getting ready to get out. Also, we have a lot of performance podcasts that's coming through. We're going to be talking about uh, different stoichiometric ratios, what kind of sensors look for what kind of information and what the outputs of the ECMs are. Uh, but that's in the future. A lot of you are here because you have found our Instagram. Thank you for following the Instagram. If you are not following our Instagram, please go to Instagram and follow our page. Go to that little search feature, put in Diesel Shop Talk Podcast. You will find us. You'll see the little yellow letters going across our picture. Follow our page. Like some of the, the posts that's up there. Uh, support the page. This thing's brand new. This thing is about a week old. We're already pushing a little bit over 600 followers. Uh, so I can't thank you enough. All right. So what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about electricity. We're going to be talking about the heavy equipment on the road that's going to be battery powered in the future. Because we see this all over the news. We see this if you turn on... Fox News, CNN, if you go to LinkedIn, if you go to Facebook, it's nothing but battery-powered equipment. Today, I'm going to be explaining why this is not going to be popular inside of your near future. We are going to see it. There's a lot of companies already running battery-powered semis, whether that be Class 7, Class 8. But there's certain things that you need to know about battery-powered equipment. We're going to talk about that. This doesn't matter what company it is. It doesn't matter if this is a Cummins powered equipment. It doesn't matter if this is a Daimler powered equipment like the E-Cascadia, Isuzu, Tesla. It doesn't matter. There are a lot of features in the equipment that we have to stay uh, conscious about. And then there's also a lot of things that's holding the battery power industry away from really becoming popular today. It is going to be our future, but we're talking years and years and years down the line. So without further ado, let's start talking about that. Hold your horses and let's get going. So you get on LinkedIn, you look at the newest transportation news that has been published. And what is the number one subject that we see? Battery-powered vehicles. Now, why? Why is this one of the biggest subjects that we see? That's because anytime that you have an internal combustion engine, we create some type of emissions. There's one argument out there. Well, we create more emissions making these batteries than the diesel engine itself. That's actually a false narrative. Uh, We actually save a substantial amount of emissions with uh, making these batteries, whether it be uh, lithium ion or any type of batteries out there. It doesn't create as much emissions as people put it out to. But the thing about it is it's very costly. And if you go back to one of my last podcasts, we talked about how the diesel engine post-2010, anything that's newer than a 2010, any truck newer than 2010, 
actually has air going into the intake manifold that's dirtier than the exhaust coming out. And that's because the after-treatment systems, uh, it changes all these emissions into nitrogen and H2O. So now we really run clean. And it's good that we've kind of made it to this point inside of our industry. You've heard me say a thousand times, I'm not one of those earth lovers. Uh, of course, I love the earth, right? I don't want anything to happen to the earth. Scientifically, it's all theory, though. There's never really been any scientific evidence out there saying, yes, Global warming has to do with the emissions. But I am definitely uh, interested in new technology, whether that be better efficiency with a diesel engine, whether that be alternative fuels, whether that be battery powered. I'm very interested in this stuff because the more that we introduce into the diesel technology industry, obviously, the better the economy is going to be for the diesel technology industry. But the point I want to make with battery-powered vehicles and electrical vehicles is the fact that although this is stuff that we're conscious about, this is stuff that all the OEMs are working on right now, this is not going to be the near future. It's going to be years and years and years and years and years from now before you actually see these vehicles on the road driving like a diesel engine. And there's a lot of reasons why, and we're going to talk about those reasons as we move forward with this podcast. Once again, I'm saying that I am completely in tune with the idea of battery-powered vehicles. I do like the technology that's being out there, but I am disagreeing that this is anything in our near future, simply because there's some facts that we're going to talk about. All right, so now let's kind of talk about those facts. One of the big things that we have to think about when we're talking about electrical powered vehicles electricity in order for us to get electricity we have to have this cool little thing called infrastructure in order for that to happen we have to have power grids well right now in many of the large cities around the united states the infrastructure is not strong enough to even handle the homes that's within these power grids and what i mean by that is let's look at this past summer inside of new york Well, in New York, obviously it got hot because, I mean, it's summertime. It was getting up in the mid-90s here in Texas. Mid-90s is like, wow, okay, this is normal day. I guess in New York, this was this chronic issue. So what the mayor did is he actually put out executive action in order to minimize what everybody was sitting there AC on the ac could not go below 78 degrees now why did he do this i'm glad that he was being proactive and it actually makes sense because the power grid ultimately if people were to turn the ac down more than 78 degrees or lower than 78 degrees then what that's going to do but a whole lot of stress onto the power grid and since that puts a whole lot of stress onto the power grid that could be very bad that could actually shut the power grid down. Now, what does this have to do with battery-powered vehicles? Well, ultimately, if we have a fleet of Class 7, Class 8 semis, and each one of these trucks were running off of battery power, well, what do you have to do to a battery? You have to recharge it, right? So if we had to recharge these trucks, especially when we're talking about a lot of these vehicles, We have to get that electricity from somewhere. And if we're pulling that electricity from the same power grid that we're running our AC on, 
guess what you're going to do? Add the extra stresses. And once you add that extra stress, you're going to shut the entire grid down. Now, there has been a lot of action by Congress, and there's been a lot of action by a lot of state agencies out there in order to give tax benefits to companies that work more onto the electrical side. But there's also a lot more that comes along with that. You today, I know you've probably seen UPS trucks. You've probably seen FedEx trucks. You've seen Walmart talking about theirs. You've seen a lot of very large fleets talking about the new fleet of electronic-powered equipment that they're putting on the road. Well, the electronic-powered equipment they're putting on the road, they are able to do that because of the tax benefits. But what does that tax benefit actually do? What they're doing with the tax benefit is they're actually making their own smaller power grids somewhere outside of distribution centers around the United States, meaning that they actually have a different option uh, for power. They have solar panels. They have windmills. They create their own grids near the distribution center so you don't have to pull all that power from the main grids that go to the rest of the United States or to the rest of that general area. All right, so they put a lot of money. How much money do they put in this? We're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars. And this is millions of dollars at each individual location, so at each individual distribution center so that they can actually charge up these batteries. All right, so now we have the possibility that we can put these trucks on the road and we can run these trucks all day long. But in order to be able to run the truck, we have to have companies that already have a lot of money and they can also get the tax benefits so they can create their own grids. This is not going to work out well for the rest of the industry. There's a lot of these companies out there that just don't have the capabilities or the, the monetary investment available in order to make these power grids, in order to put all these solar panels up, in order to put these windmills up. There's also been some other options out there as far as generators. They have been running generator sets that obviously run off of diesel fuel. But what that generator will do is that helps power the grid that charges up all the vehicles that's near. That's a cheaper way to go, but obviously we're still using some diesel fuel. We're losing, we're using less diesel fuel, obviously, because it's one generator compared to charging all the trucks that are being charged. Uh, but that's an option. Ultimately, this is just not going to be applicable to a lot of the companies out there just because, like I said, they just don't have that investment available. All right, so that's one thing we got to look out for. The power grid, the infrastructure around the United States, there's got to be a lot more uh, building up of the infrastructure in order to make this anywhere near a an option for, for all these smaller companies. And remember, although we ha do have the big UPSs and the big FedExs, what actually creates the diesel industry in itself is those smaller companies that have less than 10,000 pieces of equipment that they're running throughout the United States. All right, it just wouldn't make sense. Uh, another thing that we have to kind of look out for is the the power output or the power capacity of a battery. Now, in order to kind of understand the capacity of a battery, we also have to understand the capacity of what we get out of diesel fuel. What do I mean out of capacity? Remember, when we talk about capacity, we have a lot of different types of capacity on the electrical side that we could talk about. I'm just talking about the overall dynamic capacity that's available at any given time how much power we can get out of a specific output 
in order to make this truck run. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about capacity, I want to talk about diesel fuel, all right? We run diesel fuel today because obviously we can get a lot of torque out of diesel. The reason why we get a lot of torque out of diesels because we get a lot of capacity out of diesel. And what that is actually considered is going to be energy density. The diesel fuel has an energy density of around 13,333 watt hours per kilogram component. All right. So what I mean, three or 13,333 watt hours per kilogram, that's for every one kilogram we get 1,333 watt hours. So let's kind of break this down a little bit and explain what this means. That means that if we have a truck and this truck has, let's just throw a number out there, 40 gallons of diesel fuel. How much does diesel fuel weigh? How much would 40 gallons weigh? Well, that's gonna be about 340 pounds, but since this is in kilograms, let's break that down to kilograms. So that's gonna be about 151 kilograms. So in order to figure out how much capacity diesel fuel would have, we could go ahead and multiply that 13,333 watt hours by the amount of weight of 151 kilograms. How much does that give us? How much capacity is that? That's gonna be about 2 million watt hours of power. That is a lot of density. That is long-term, high torque for these trucks that go down the road. All right, so 2 million watt hours. Let's put this in perspective with battery. So a battery can carry, if you have a lithium ion, which is typically the type of batteries that we're using for these battery powered equipment, a lithium ion battery is gonna have about 100 watt hours per kilogram, all right? Let's go ahead and compare this again. 100 watt hours per kilogram for a battery compared to 1,333 watt hours for diesel fuel. Huge difference there. All right, so to put this in a little bit more perspective, if we had a battery that weighed about 151 kilograms, that means that we would have about 15,000 watt hours of energy. All right, so 151 kilograms Battery power, 15,000 watt hours. 151 kilograms of diesel fuel, 2 million watt hours. That is a huge difference from battery power to your typical diesel fuel, right? We're talking about 1,300 times more energy density with diesel fuel compared to batteries. Now, can we get that battery capacity up? Is it possible to make that battery put out about the same watt hours as diesel fuel? Yes, but in order to do that, you have to increase the overall weight because this is based off of the kilograms, how much weight that you have. So if we added more weight to the truck, that means that we are throwing in a couple extra factors, right? What, what really is going to get factored in when we throw on the extra weight? Well, the first thing I want to talk about as far as the issues with adding more weight with battery power is money. Because obviously the whole purpose of the diesel industry and the heavy duty trucking industry is money. That's why the economy is so good with the heavy duty industry. That's why technicians make great money. That's why truck drivers make great money. That's why companies make great money whenever they're driving these trucks. But the problem is if we added more batteries to that truck, because now it's a battery powered piece of equipment, 
All right, that means that we're going to have less payload. Well, a lot of the companies get paid based off of what? The payload. So now we have substantially more battery weight than we would diesel fuel in order to get the same amount of capacity out of there. And since we have substantially more battery power, we have less payload, we get paid less money for making that truck go from point A to point B. Making the truck go from point A to point B is the next issue. The next problem is the fact that if we do want more payload, we got to have less weight as far as battery power, which mean our batteries, and that means less watt hours of battery capacity. So that means I can get from point A to point B, that's going to be, let's say, 250 miles. That's kind of the trade-off. I want this truck to go 250 miles from point A to point B in order to drop that load so I can make my money. Well, if you're going for 250 miles, that means that you got to have a client base or a customer base that's very near the distribution center or very near the delivery areas that your drivers are going to go. All right. Another thing, if they go from point A to point B, let's say they run out of batteries. Well, right now, there's not really many places that you can go to charge up that truck. So... How are we going to send roadside service out there to put fuel in it? You can't because you have batteries. So this creates a lot of other issues within the industry. All right. So money, obviously we have less money. It takes uh, a lot of the extra options away by going further distances or having team runs. All right. Where, you know, sometimes those team runs is where a lot of the money is actually made. All right. So the next issue is safety. Why do I say safety? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Obviously, if we have more battery capacity, if we have batteries, electronic systems, uh, more electrical means more amperage, means if we have technicians working on it, they can literally get electrocuted. There's going to be a lot of different regulations put into place and protocols put into place to make sure that technicians can understand, hey, this is a very high voltage wire, don't touch this. But we still have that that we have to stay cautious about. Another thing we gotta stay cautious about is the stability of the truck. We obviously have some of the best stability systems, some of the best mitigation systems, some of the best ABS systems and that we could even possibly imagine, right? These, these mitigation systems, they are so advanced that the truck can almost drive itself today. It can steer itself, it can do everything. But now that we add more weight, we also take a lot of the handling and stability away from the truck. So now that we have the stability systems the way we do, these things are going to have to work harder because that truck's going down the road. Obviously, we know how momentum works. If they're trying to go around a curb really fast, now this is going to be a trip hazard and the truck's going to roll over a lot easier than what a truck would be with diesel fuel because now that truck itself has more weight on it. So stability issue is going to come in a factor and braking issues is going to be a big factor here because with the ABS systems, yes, the Webco and yes, the Bendix systems out there, they can actually actuate a thousand times a second. Not a big deal. They, they can control the trucks. But now that we're adding more pressure or more weight to it, even though this thing can, can actuate a thousand times a second because of pulse weather modulation signals going through there, it is not going to be enough in order to stop that truck effectively in order to meet all the rules and regulations on the road that we have to meet with a braking industry. All right. And now we have a truck that's trying to go up and down mountains. Every time it goes up a mountain, we're using more of that watt hour. So we're using more battery power. So it's not actually going to get that 
250 miles or 300 miles that it needs for that battery to make it from point A to point B. And then now every time the truck goes down the hill, this creates a braking problem because now that we're going down a hill, we have more weight on the truck. Now the driver's hitting the brakes. Now what's going to happen is the brakes are brakes are going to start overheating. Hopefully when those brakes start overheating, they're using uh, disc brakes. They're not really using drum brakes because they're using drum brakes. Now we got a runaway vehicle. Obviously disc brakes takes a lot of that away from the equation, but it's something that we have to be cautious about. And just to kind of backtrack what we talked about, first reason you're not going to see this in the near future is infrastructure power grids. Second reason is because of power density of the diesel fuel compared to what the actual power density of a battery is. And then obviously we have the money reasoning behind it and then we have the safety reasoning behind it. So there's a couple of things to think about. Now, there are a lot of companies that's investing in battery-powered equipment, though. All right, some of the companies that you see investing in this battery-powered equipment, it's kind of like Freightliner, you know, they have their E-Cascadias out. We have Fuso, they have the E-Canter. Lion has their Lion 8 out there. Cummins has their AOS, which is just a Class 7 vehicle. And then, obviously, we have Tesla Semi, which is just that, the Tesla Semi. So, obviously, there is investment in battery-powered. And the reason is because we do have opportunity in some areas to use battery-powered equipments. All right? Just not in a very large sector. All right? So, where are some of the places that battery-powered equipment makes sense and why are we using this stuff today? Some of those areas that makes a lot more sense is kind of like schools. Well, at a school, at the ISDs out there, a lot of these, these schools and the ISDs, they probably are only running 200, 300 pieces of equipment max. So if we have this school inside of this city running 300 pieces of equipment and they're charging that every night, that is not substantial to the power grid. But now if we have schools running this much, we have the... DC down the road that has a thousand pieces of equipment over there. We have another FedEx facility over here. We have a UPS facility over here. Well, ultimately, all of those adding together is what kills a grid. But this one school right here, we have the sufficient grid for that. They can run 300 pieces of equipment that's battery powered. All right. The reason why they can also do that is because they don't have to worry about driving the truck over 250 miles. They drive that, that bus from point A to point F by the time they're said and done with, with that route that they've taken. And that route might only be 20 miles. So this is one of those applications where this makes sense. Also, delivery application, this makes sense because if you are the UPS or you are the FedEx and you've invested a lot of money into the electrical side of things to make sure that you do have enough power grid in order to charge up all of your equipment, then obviously you get tax breaks. So that helps out, especially for a very large sector of trucks. But another thing with UPS and FedEx, we already know that uh, they're constantly driving through the city, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go traffic. And since they're going stop, go, that's bad for a diesel engine. And they also have to consistently turn that diesel engine off and turn it back on, off and back on. So they actually save a little bit because if you turn an electrical vehicle off, what does that actually do? Pretty much nothing, right? It literally just turns off the electrical system. Everything else is just working the same way it did. You turn a diesel engine off, well, now you stop the crankshaft from rotating, all the friction from the cams, all the pulleys, and then once you start it back up, you've used a little bit more fuel, 
and then you're also putting all that stress on the starter. So some of those things to look out for. Uh, delivery vehicles, it makes sense just because we take the extra stresses off the diesel engine and that starter, and they do invest into the power grids. School districts, it makes sense because they don't really have that many pieces of equipment as it is. It doesn't really hurt the power grid, and they're consistently running 20 to 40 miles a day, which really isn't much. And Obviously, if you're in a school bus, this kind of, you got to factor in the regeneration system. Well, if you have a school bus full of children, you don't want to just stop that school bus to allow that school bus to regen because you do have all those children on there. That's the last thing that you want to do. So if you have a battery-powered piece of equipment, now that kind of benefits because the school bus driver doesn't have to have the extra training. And since they don't have to have the extra training, they don't necessarily uh, have to worry about stopping and regening the trucks long term so if we're talking about heavy duty over the road trucking it is not your near future a lot of us inside of the heavy duty industry we see this stuff all the time and i get these questions well isn't the industry going battery powered yes it is we still have a long time until we get there so if you're just going through technical school right now you probably will not touch a battery powered piece of equipment for the next 20 25 years you're almost ready to retire by the time this stuff starts even picking up uh that extra that extra movement what's something else that we could talk about well we could talk about options for electrical power though we do have some options out there now whenever we're talking about full electrical vehicles that's pretty much considered battery powered but we do have hybrids that's available and what a hybrid is that means that we still have our diesel engine but we add an electrical motor to one of the outputs of that diesel engine the electrical motor could be right off the transmission the electrical motor could be right before one of your drive axles it all depends on what type of system that you're actually working with all right, so what's a couple companies that you see with these hybrids? Uh, Dana, they use hybrids. Obviously, Hendrickson, they've been really working with hybrids. Uh, Eaton, they've been working on the hybrid industry. You have a couple of different types of hybrids out there. Um, you have one that you've probably heard about before, which is going to be your HEV. Uh, that's just your conventional hybrid electrical type equipment. That means that you have... Uh, a diesel engine combined with electrical motor output to the driveline pushing the differentials. But you also have what's called a FEV, P-H-E-V, which is simply just a plug-in hybrid electrical vehicle. We can actually make your typical standard heavy-duty truck today into a FEV. And the reason why we can do that is because we can go to Dana and say, hey, we want this electronic motor actuated e-axle and we take the axle off that's on the truck right now we put the e-axle on we change the driveline length and then we make some perimeter changes on a computer now what's going to happen is when this truck is going down the road if we're just straight highway the electrical motor can actually come on and it can support that diesel engine. And it takes a lot of the torque load off of that diesel engine because now we have electronic battery power rotating the differential with the driveline mechanical force from that diesel engine. And that takes a ton of stress off the diesel engine. And this also 
factors in a couple other things. If you take the stress off the diesel engine, you're reducing the amount of combustion temperature in the diesel engine. If you reduce the combustion temperature in the diesel engine, that ultimately is going to reduce the amount of emissions that you're created. Uh, that takes a lot of that NOx efficiency away from there. Obviously, we have DPFs today, so it's going to catch all that extra that extra hydrocarbon that's coming out. We can burn that off really easy, especially with multiple DPFs that a lot of the OEMs are going to. Um, Something else that this does whenever you have a truck going up and down the road, we know that a lot of the SCR problems that we have to do has to do with mountainous areas. As the truck starts going up a mountain, the engine gets very hot. Since that engine gets very hot, we start producing a high amount of NOx. The SCR system has to get rid of the NOx. But as that truck makes it through the crown of that mountain starts going back down the mountain we still have a hot engine we still have NOx being created but we don't have the exhaust needed to push a def through the rest of the system in order to reduce NOx. so that creates ser efficiency fault codes and that creates crystallization of the def well if we have a plug-in play hybrid electrical vehicle with e-axles that e-axle can actually help that truck make it up that mountain. And as it makes it to the top of the mountain, the engine never got excessively hot. We naturally reduce the temperatures. We reduce the emissions. And this also greatly reduces the amount of fuel economy that the truck is running. All right. We want to make sure that we get the most fuel economy possible. How do we get the most fuel economy possible? Well, you make that engine not work as hard, take some of the torque load off the engine, and allow that engine to uh, rotate at slower RPMs. If you have E-axles or some kind of electronic motor coming off of that mechanical force from the engine, now what we've done is we've reduced that torque load. So instead of running 7 to 8 miles per gallon down the road, we can run 11, 12, 13 miles per gallon down the road. And if we can run that, we are talking about millions of dollars saved a year. I could do the math, but that's just boring. All right, just know that is a lot of money when we're talking about this equipment. All right, so that's something that you can look out for. Obviously, we have a lot to look forward to in the next 10 years. If you look into some of the regulation, we are going to be seeing some changes within the industry, a lot of changes within the next 10 years because the Clean Air Act is really pushing all the different OEMs to meet these guidelines like the fuel economy guidelines and so on and so forth. Some things that you might actually see in the future is going to be like a six-stroke engine. Uh, a six-stroke engine just adds the introduction of water injection. It puts some water into the combustion chamber, and once it does that, it kind of creates a steam effect to get that extra power stroke for fuel economy. We're also going to be seeing a lot of changes in mitigation systems. Maybe one day I'll make a podcast for some of the future technologies that you see. I had to keep up with this, obviously, for my job, what I do on a training sector, because I got to make sure that all of the technicians within the company that I work for uh, stays up to date on these technologies. We got to make sure that we are looking forward instead of looking right now, because we have a training system right now that is great. All of our technicians are getting trained, but we got to make sure that our technicians can also get trained five years from now, 10 years from now, so that we don't get put back and we don't have untrained technicians that can't fix the equipment that we're looking for. All right, it's kind of part of the process and training and development. 
But with that being said, this has already been a long enough podcast. We're at about 30 minutes, so I'm going to get off of here. If you have any questions, if you need technical insight, if you have any requests, feel free to shoot me an email at dieseldavepodcast at gmail.com. If you go into the description of this, you can see that email. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you want to hear about. And... With that said, let's go ahead and get going. Have a great day. Put a smile on your face. Don't go slap anybody. And we shall talk to you later.